in a series that we're calling Breaking Bad. And what we're trying to do is simply break any patterns of bad, death, misery, thanatos is the word from the Greek that we've been talking about, break any of those patterns in our lives that might be there so that we don't carry them into the next generation. If you're uh, tweeting anything or social media anything, use that hashtag Breaking Bad when you do. And if you want a, a, a manuscript of this sermon or any of the messages in the series, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc. Or if you've got any questions about the church, we'd be glad to answer them for you at info. You want to get right into it? I got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to let you go before the second service gets here. So uh, let's lean into it. There's two key verses in the series Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord does what? Unless the Lord builds. Who's doing the building? It's the Lord that does the building. Unless the Lord builds the house. What's the house? You've been here. You know what the series we've been saying? The house is not the building, the house is not the wood and concrete. The house is. It's us, it's the family, it's the offspring, it's the generations. God always looks at families. He looks at your life through a multi-generational lens. And he wants you to do the same thing. So unless the Lord builds the generations of the house, is an accurate way to say it, then we're wasting our time. And why is that true? It's because we understand, if you didn't before, you do now from this series, and if you missed it, go to input. BridgeChurch.cc and pick it up or go online and watch these messages because we understand there is a supernatural world at work. God is in charge of it. The Bible is the final authority over whether we get blessings or we introduce misery into our lives. And there are blessings for obeying God and there are curses, misery that's introduced when we disobey God. But not just for our lifetimes. Exodus chapter 34 Verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. He says, it's not okay. It's not okay. The wages of sin is death. That's thanatos, misery. The wages of sin is always misery. It always is. So I'm not saying it's okay because... Among other things, the iniquity gets visited of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren of the generations to come. Now, again, that doesn't mean that the children pay for the father's sin, but it does mean that once you make a decision, every decision, every decision, did I say every? Every decision you make is not an event, it's not a moment, it's a path. And that path extends across the generations. It can be a path that extends uh, misery to third and fourth generations, or it can be a path that extends blessings to a thousand generations, but every decision you make has an impact, not just on your life, but on the lives of the generations to come. So if you were here last week, remember we talked about that word iniquity? What does that word iniquity mean? It means to be an unnatural bend or, or twist. That's what it means, to be not naturally what God intended for you to be. So we, in fact, we had an image for that. Can we see the tree? You see a tree out in the woods somewhere, and you know because it bent, there must have been something here that stopped that tree from going and growing, right? You don't know what it is, but something was there. It might have been two or three decades ago, or it might have been two or three generations ago in family terms, but something was there that kept it from growing naturally. So God says, when you sin, when you disobey, you create an obstacle for the coming generations. The minute you look to him for mercy, he forgives, and the obstacle gets removed, and you get to go again. So in every generation, we get to decide 
regardless of what happened before, we get to decide whether we send blessings forward or we send curses and misery forward. But hear me, just because your kids can decide for themselves doesn't mean it doesn't matter because you can make it easy on them to, to just lean into the blessings or you can make it hard on them. They got junk to overcome. And so we want to be sure and careful about all this stuff. What am I saying? In clear terms, grandpa, grandma, the choices you've been making all of your life have and will continue to affect your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to come. Teenagers, hello? The children you haven't even thought of yet are being affected by the choices you make right now today at 14, 15, 16 years old. This is huge. We begin to understand that and we begin to look through our lives not just through the lens of what's going to happen to me, but what's going to happen to the generations of our house is in fact the Lord building blessings into our house, then we start becoming far more aware of how we're going to live. So now, that's the first half. That's what we've done in the first half of this series. Pastor Farrell and I kind of laid the foundation of that truth in all of our hearts. Now we shift. The next two messages, today and next week, we're going we're to look forward. Today we're going to talk about how to ensure that you're passing blessings and then next week, we're going to identify any curses, any misery that we might have inherited from previous generations or we might have started the pattern ourselves, and we're going to break it. You do not want to miss next Sunday morning at the bridge. You do not want to be away. Cancel your plans. Leave after church. You do not want to be away next weekend because we're going to break the back of any curse that might be in any of our families next Sunday morning. Anybody believe that's a possibility? We're going to do that next Sunday morning together. Today, I want to lean in just a little bit and teach you how to make sure that you are, in fact, imparting blessings. To do that, I want to help you understand four principles that every blesser has in his or her life and in their way of thinking, and then I want to give you uh, a tool to help you actually begin to intentionally build blessings uh, into your house, your household, the generations that are before you. So let's get into it. Remember we've been saying uh, every time that, uh, that we're not just talking about biological kids, we're talking about adoptive kids, we're talking about spiritual kids. So we're talking about uh, whatever offspring, whatever people might be brought into your sphere of influence, we're asking ourselves the question, am I passing blessings into the lives of those people? Whether it's at work or at church or in the neighborhood or in my immediate family, where is it? Am I passing blessings? Principle number one, you ready? I first, if I want to be a blesser, I must first know those I Influence, and I don't mean just identify who they are. I mean you gotta you gotta know who they are. Pastor Farrell introduced to us last week Proverbs twenty two six: Train a child, biological, spiritual, adoptive, whatever they are, in the what's the word? The way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Pastor Farrell un unpacked this whole idea of turning last week, but I want to focus on the word way for a few minutes. Okay. That word way is the Hebrew word darek, and darek means the course of life. Remember Avon last week, the bent tree, the one we talked about just a moment ago, that bent tree picture, you remember that one? Well, darek is the exact opposite of Avon, whereas the, uh, the Avon tree is bent and misshapen, the direct tree is following the course 
that fulfills God's purpose for your life. Have you figured out yet that God made you on purpose? Regardless of the circumstances of your birth? He made you on purpose, and He's given you purpose and meaning, and when you fulfill that purpose, you get fulfillment from it. You get satisfaction that the real fulfillment you've been looking for all your life comes in discovering God's purpose for your life and making that happen and leaning into that thing, and that's an ongoing process. So, so we saw the Avon tree. What does the direct tree look like? Here we go. That's what it looks like. Anybody want your kids and grandkids to look more like this than the other one? I got a couple of yeses over here. I don't I didn't get anything. anybody want that? Of course we want that. It's silly. But hear me, you can't do that unless you know your kids. Of course I know my kids. Yeah, that one's well, I forgot his name. That one is uh, his birthday is I you know I, what what am I saying? I'm saying you got to spend time with them. Popular phrase that came out a few years ago, well, you know, I'm really, really busy, so I'm not spending a lot of quantity time with our, our kids, but I'm spending quality time with our kids. I have a deeply theological expression for that. <laughs> quality time is something that happens accidentally in the middle of a whole bunch of quantity time. All right? <laughs> is that right? And so hear me, guys, this may sound obvious, but you've got to listen to your kids. You've got to spend time with your kids. You've got to ask questions and, and drag the answers out of them because they don't want to tell you. You've got to get them to trust you enough to tell you what's going on if you're really going to help them. I remember as a young Christian, I was 17 when I gave my life to Christ, and, and um, there was a man in our church, James Hester, who was a carpenter, he had a little wood shop in his backyard, and he did little projects and that sort of thing. He took an interest in me for some reason. He invited me to, to his life group, and I would go on Friday night with a bunch of guys in his workshop and in his life group. And one day, after life group meeting, he, he said, Jim, you know, you, you have the voice of a preacher. And I laughed at him, and I said, <laughs> you want it? I don't want it. You can have it. <laughs> but I never got away from those words. Because you know what he did and what I knew he did? He listened to me. He paid attention to me. And when God gave him something to give me that would plant a seed in my heart that would help me to fulfill God's purpose for my life, he took the boldness to say those words. And I never got away from them. If you want to be a blesser in the lives of your children, biological, adoptive, or spiritual, you have got to listen. You've got to spend time with them because that's what blessers do. Number two, you got to know you got to want what's best for them. Well, of course we want what's best. The hard part is we must want what's best for them. Now that may sound obvious again, but hear me guys, it can be incredibly difficult to separate what I want for them based on my desires and my expectations and what I want for them based on God's purposes and plans for their lives. Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? Is that true? It's true. Uh, but hear me, guys. You will not succeed as a blesser of the generations until you do a couple of things. First of all, you've got to address your own generational curses. That's why next weekend we're going to spend time teaching you how to how to do exactly that, and we're going to put our foot down and break some of those things. The truth is, more is caught than taught, 
And so if you want to pass on generational blessings, then you've got to deal with any generational curses that are going on in your life because you will pass them on unintentionally. I remember when my boys were young, we went down to the beach for a weekend one time, and, uh, and at one point I said to Kim, can you watch the boys? I'm going to go for a run. And, and she said, sure, I got it. And so uh, I took off and went down to the beach, and I started running up the beach. Well, no sooner than I got uh, going a little bit on the beach, I heard a sound in the wind and the waves. I heard a sound, and it sounded like my middle son Adam's voice. Adam was about five, I guess, six at the time. And, uh, and I thought, no, that wasn't Adam, was it? And then I heard him say, say, Dad. And I stopped. And sure enough, it was Adam, maybe 20 paces back behind me, 25 paces back. And, and I stood there and watched him for a minute. And what he was doing was he was going. I said, dude, you got to stay with Mom. Dad's going to go for a run. He said, I know. I'm walking in your footprints. And I laughed. And I thought it was cute. And then I shuddered. Where am I putting my feet? Because he's walking in my footsteps, whether I know he's back there paying attention or not. Hear me, guys. You've got to lean into not just know them, but you've got to want what's best for them, even if that means deal with some hard stuff in your own life. Amen. And then you've got to let go of any personal agendas you might have. Truth is, my expectations of my, of my, son are, my sons are so high, there's no way they could ever live up to them. I set them up for failure if I expect them to. I don't expect them to live up to my expectations. I expect them to live up to what God purposed for them. The sad reality is there's far too many parents who try to fulfill their own dreams that didn't get fulfilled. Hello? Through their children's lives. I learned that a long time ago when I volunteered as a, as a Little League baseball coach. You think pastoring can be hard. Volunteer to coach a Little League baseball team with, sorry ladies, with baseball moms who wanted their husbands to be professional baseball players and they didn't know how. Why didn't you put my boy in? My boy is better than any of the boys out here. They can't catch, he can't hit, can't throw. But put him out there. You, you, this is supposed to be Little League. You're supposed to be putting them out there. So I do. So I put little Johnny out there in the right field, and little Johnny's looking around. He's picking his nose. Somebody hits a high fly to right field. He ain't even looking. He's just, oh, found a piece of clover, you know. Ball drops behind him. He just stands there. Center field has to run over and pick it up and throw it over his head. And mom's saying, yeah, look how good my Johnny is. Yeah, he's really good. You ever seen, uh, what is it, Toddlers and Tierras, that TV show? If I rest, I rest my case. If you have it, don't bother. <laughs> it's mamas who thought maybe they could have been beauty queens if they tried, but they just... Couldn't quite make it. That's all I'm going to say. Here's what I'm trying to say to you, okay? Cursors, people who pass on misery and curses, see success through the perspective of me. It's all about me. The people that come into my life are here to help me accomplish my goals and my purposes in life. You need to know that's called toxic parenting. Blessers 
see success from the perspective of them. Success is about them. My fulfillment comes from helping others become all God made them to be. To do that, you've got to deal with your own stuff, whatever that takes. You've got to lay down your own agenda. And oh, by the way, when you get into a relationship with a blesser, buckle your seatbelt because God can do amazing things in that multi-generational kind of approach to life. Can I tell you, can I just stop and say this? Pastor Farrell's been my friend for 30, none of your business years. I've never met a man more unselfish in this way than Pastor Farrell. What an amazing blesser this man has been. And many of us are fulfilling God's purpose in our lives because Farrell gave room. He didn't focus on his own agenda. He focused on ours. That's what blessers do. Yeah, let's do that. And I will tell you, when you are a blesser, buckle your seatbelt because God's going to take you to places you never dreamed because those people that come around you will want to hold your arms up to accomplish what you're doing as well. To do that, to be a blesser, you got to know them. you gotta, you got to deal with your stuff. you got to move past your own personal agenda. Number three, you got to speak blessing to them. Now, I want to lean into this one a little bit because it's so profound. Farrell introduced us to a passage last week, Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he's satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Farrell told us last week that key phrase, the tongue has the power of life and death. You speak words of life, and life comes. You speak words of death, and death comes. But back it up to verse 20 a little bit, and look at what that says. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. What's that saying? And the harvest from his lips is satisfied. The last part of, of verse 21, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What's that saying? It says to me that words are not just potentially life and death. Words are seeds from which we get a harvest. And whatever words we say become seeds that get planted into the person that we say them to or sometimes just say them about. And a harvest comes from uh, those words. So how many of you know the law of the harvest? You heard the law of the harvest before? There's three elements to the law of the harvest. What are they? You want to say them with me? That you reap what you sow. That means if you put two kernels of corn in the ground, you get... Two ears of corn, right? You get corn. You don't get rice from corn seed, right? You reap more than you sow. Two kernels produces two ears, right? And then there's a, there's the, the reaping happens in a different season than the planting. Plant in the spring, reap in the fall, right? And so apply the law of the harvest to your words. If words are seeds, and I'm going to get back what I've said, multiplied, but it may not come in this season, it's going to come in the next season, then ask yourself the question, what kind of harvest should I anticipate from my family, hello, based on the words that I am saying to my family? Can I tell you that Satan has done a job on many of us, even 
fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and he's convinced us that words are just words and we say them and they just evaporate into the air and we were just kind of venting and it didn't really mean anything. You know, I was just a little angry. I was just upset. It doesn't really mean anything. And if that's what you've been thinking, you've been deceived. In fact, I've seen two common deceptions through the years on this topic. Deception number one is, is somehow I can get a, a constructive result from destructive words. Farrell mentioned this in the first, pa- in the first message of this series uh, that he's heard, I've heard parents say horrible things to their kids. And, and, and I've heard some of those things, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world are you doing? Do you have any idea what kind of harvest you're going to get from those terrible things that you're saying to, your, to those kids? And I've said that to a couple of parents over the years. Well, I pull them aside and say, man, think about your words, and think about what you're going to reap from the words that you are sowing into your son or daughter's life. Think about it for just a minute, and here's how they respond. Well, pastor, I hear you, but I'm just trying to wake them up. Right? Trying to jolt them out of this thing that they're in. And I get that. I hear that. I raised three sons. I had to jerk a knot in them every now and then myself. But hear me. You can't get good fruit from bad seeds. That's not how it works. Anytime you sow abusive words, words that produce misery, you sow seeds of thanatos, misery, And in the next season, you reap a crop of relational death. Where where in the world did we ever get the idea that if we hurt the people that we love badly enough, they'll shape up? Guys, you've got to hear this. If we hurt them bad, they're just hurt. Bad. That's all. Let me illustrate this way. You don't have to respond. Just sit real still so nobody will know, okay? No elbows thrown. But how many of you ever been in a place where you just lost it? You just, you'd had it up to here at work or at home or wherever it was, and you just couldn't take it anymore, and blah, there it came. I said, sit still. Don't look. Don't start squirming in your seat. Come on. And you just let them have it. I mean, you just used every word in your vocabulary, you used every word you'd ever heard before, you've never said before, you made up some words, you just kind of blah, 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 you know. And when you were done, the person that you just cussed out royally looked at you and said, whew, boy, that cussing out really helped me, man. (laughs) I appreciate that. Boy, before you called me all those names, I was just... I was really struggling, but now I got it. Whew, next time I mess up, let me have it again. Is that how it works? It's not how it works. I just need to tell you, if those are the kind of seeds you're planting in your kids' lives, then the only thing you're setting yourself up for is a harvest of counseling sessions with Pastor James and student ministries when they're teenagers. Because you can't get a constructive result from destructive words. That's why the Apostle Paul said, only speak that which is helpful for building one another up. Second deception that I've heard a lot is, well, yeah, I'd say something constructive, but, but it won't help. It won't make any difference. I mean, what's the point, right? They're not listening. Every parent feels that way at times. Going to get an amen from the parents in the house. But can I tell you that I've never met a farmer 
And farmers, I don't know if you know this, but farmers are really smart people. I've never met a farmer who walked out into the field in the spring and said, you know, I got seeds over here, and I got a field over here, but there is no reason to put those things in the ground. What's the point? I mean, I got seed. I'm just going to hang on to the seed, right? I'm just going to eat the seed. That's what I'm going to eat this year. There's not a farmer on the planet who would say there's no point in sowing these seeds because they're smart enough to know that the only way, the only way you get a harvest is if you plant seeds. And yes, there's a season where by faith those seeds are going to eventually come up. Invited a farmer to church one time, and, and he said, uh, Pastor, I, you know, I just, I'd be a fish out of water there. I'm just not much of a church-going kind of guy. And I said, well, man, come on. The whole church is made up of your cousins and your aunts and uncles. and I mean, it's family. Just come on to a family reunion. That's all I'm talking about. He said, well, I can't go to heaven anyway. I'm a gambler for a living. I said, what are you talking about a gambler for a living? I thought you farmed. He said, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm a gambler for a living. <laughs> if you want to harvest a blessing... Across the generations, you got to plant right seeds in your kids and your grandkids. Now, hear me. That I'm not saying, this is not mamby-pamby, pop psychology, everything you ever say is positive. <laughs> it's not true. I mean, electricity flows, electricity flows with positive and negative. There's no question about it. But even appropriate correction can be done as a blesser rather than as a, a curser when our boys... Messed up when they were young, we always did our best to correct them, but to correct them in a way that, that blessed them ultimately, that laid a path for them to follow instead of an obstacle for them to overcome. For instance, when my two older boys duct taped the dog to a tree limb, uh, <laughs> true story, uh, I went to them and said, that's not the behavior of the kind of young men I know you to be. That's not who you are. That's not consistent with your character. Now get that dog down and love on him a little bit, and, and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do about what you just did because you ain't going to do that no more, right? Now inside, I'm thinking, I'm screaming in my head. I hear the serial killers start by damaging little animals. <laughs> I'm terrified, right? But I want to be a blesser. So even in correction, I'm trying to be a blessing. Is this pop psychology stuff? No, it's Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 and 21, by faith, by faith, which means that he hadn't seen it yet. He just knew what God told him to say in his spirit. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. This is what I believe is going to happen. This is who I believe you're going to be. This is what God has shown me you can accomplish. He spoke to them in blessing in regard to their future. So what happened next? By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. You see the generational blessings at work? You got Isaac blessing his sons, Jacob and Esau. You got Jacob blessing his sons and, and grandsons, Joseph's sons, and, and, and just passing it on generation by generation. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's the house that God built, starting with Abraham when he said to him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And that lineage goes all the way to Jesus himself. If you want a harvest of blessings across the generations, you got to plant good seeds. Ready for the fourth one? Not only do I have to 
know them well enough to know that I'm speaking truth, not only do I have to want what's best for them based on God's purpose for their lives, not only do I need to speak intentional words, plant seeds of blessing in their lives, but also I need to touch them appropriately. I must touch them appropriately. What am I saying? I'm saying blessings pass up close and personal. That's what I'm saying. Would you agree with me that there's incredible power in physical touch? In fact, there's all kinds of studies that have been done, and, and one, of the, one of my favorite studies I've seen several times now is in a hospital where there's some circumstance in which the mom maybe had difficulty in birth and she's not able to hold the child in the nursery during those first few critical days. They actually have volunteers who come in and rock the babies so that they have physical touch during those first few days because they can't get it from mom for some reason. Why? Because they understand that babies flourish when they're touched in loving kinds of ways. I was teaching this one time a number of years ago, and the next week a mom came to me afterwards and she said, Pastor, I just need to tell you that, that uh, my 19-year-old daughter and I have been at odds for a long time. There's been tension in our house, and we, you know, we're polite to each other, but there's a distance, there's been a coldness. My husband has talked to both of us about it. We just haven't known what to do. And she said, last week after hearing you talk about that subject, I went home and I walked up to my daughter very gingerly and guardedly, not sure how she would respond. And I took her in my arms and I hugged her and she collapsed in my arms. And we cried together. You understand that's why we shake hands and hug necks around here? I've had people tell me, the only hug I ever get is on Sunday morning. I walked into a church service one time. I'm walking down the aisle. The service is just starting. And as I'm walking by, there's a young man sitting in the chair right there on the aisle. And just as I'm walking by, I just laid my hand on his shoulder and said, good morning, man. And walked on past to the front row. After the service, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I came in this morning contemplating suicide. And when your hand touched my shoulder, I felt the touch of God. And I'm going to be okay. There's something powerful about appropriate touch. And i got to say it that way because we live in a, in a world where there's an awful lot of inappropriate touch. But hear me, when it comes to appropriate, loving, gentle touches, Jesus is the one who modeled it for us. Mark 10, 16, then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. That's huge in people's lives and we need to follow the model of Jesus Christ when we do. i got to move on, but here's what I'm trying to say, okay? Everybody who wants to do something worthwhile in their lives, and that's all of us, I learned a long time ago, there's two things that every human being needs. They need to love and be loved. Amen? And I need to sense that I've done something worthwhile with my one and only life. That's it. That's what we all need. doesn't matter what culture, what language, what ethnicity, that's what we all need. And if you really want to do that, there's only two methods for accomplishing it. You can work hard, work hard, work hard until you accomplish a lot of stuff, or you can help others fulfill their purpose. Which one of those two do you think Jesus role modeled for us? Which one of those two are you most focused on? Blessers focus on blessing others. We've got to shift gears in the last few minutes. I would say in closing, but Farrell's taught me that doesn't mean anything here, so. <laughs> Let's get real practical, okay? 
We've been talking about these principles, and I dare say most of you have been thinking about day by day, every day, as you interact with each other, and I'm glad you have. But every now and then, I think we need to take it to the next level. Let's just be honest. We all live busy, crazy lives. We all got plenty of stuff on our to-do list. We got plenty of stuff to do at the end of the week, at the end of the month. We just never finish the list. And so the result is that sometimes we can go through weeks and months and and years or, or just a lifetime almost and never stop to do these kinds of things. So I think it's critical that we take it to what Farrell calls the HNL and make sure that we are intentionally passing the baton of blessing. Four dynamics. I'm going to tell you right quick what they are. You might want to write them down or capture them uh, sometime. And I'm going to challenge you to build one of these events into your life. Again, for biological, adoptive, or spiritual children. For anybody that's looking to you for influence, they're looking to you for blessing as well. Number one, plan an event. Plan a blessing event. Again, I know we're all busy and we even live in a culture that says children ought to be seen and not heard. But it just isn't true. We need to set aside time because time is valuable for all of us. We need to set aside time for this purpose. Remember Mark 10 that we looked at a minute ago? Jesus took them in his arms and he laid hands on them and blessed them. You know what was going on in the backdrop, the backstory of all of that? The parents were coming and bringing their children. And Jesus' own disciples were saying, children should be seen and not heard. The master is too busy to bother with these kids. And what did Jesus do? Oh, yeah, you're right. We, we got another town to go to. We got another sermon to preach. We got, what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. He said, guys, you don't get it. These kids, this is what it's about. This is what makes up the kingdom of heaven. Stop what you're doing and bless these kids. Bring them here. Get them in my arms. Let me get my hands on them. Let me bless them here today. So you want to be like Jesus? You've got to look for opportunities. You've got to plan an event. And the best times to do that are when something happens in your child's life. Again, biological, spiritual, doesn't matter. This is graduation season. Great time to do it. And it might be graduation from kindergarten or from primary school or middle school or high school or college. Doesn't matter. But find a time. Graduation is a great time to do it. Water baptism is a great time to do it. When they take a step to join the church, to become an owner, that's a great time to do it. If they, if they step into a serve team, I was blessed this morning backstage before I came out to share with you, there's a young man, I don't know what his age is, but I would guess him to be a teenager, who's training with the media team here at the church, and I'm going, yes, children, these young people are not the church of tomorrow, they're the church today. In fact, if they're not the church today, they won't be here tomorrow. So plan an event, pick those times, weddings, baby dedications, there's all kinds of times, but set aside some time, plan an event just for them, let them be the focus of that event. Number two, select participants carefully. Select participants carefully. Now you're going to invite a lot of people, friends, your friends, the the friends of the people that you're blessing, all that kind of stuff. But, but when it comes to, to people who are actually going to be engaged in the blessing process, you want to select them carefully. You want to make sure that you're picking people who have godly influence in the life of the person who's going to be blessed, people who understand that the law of the harvest applies to words, that they're going to speak life and they're going to speak blessing, they're going to plant seeds. I did a wedding some years ago, and, uh, and at the reception afterwards, the, the bride... Uh, said to her brother, who was best man, well, you have to give the best man toast. And he said, oh, I, I didn't know how to do that. I, uh, okay, I guess I'll do that. And so he gets up in front of everybody, and he gets the microphone, and he says, uh, 
well, I'm the brother of the bride, and uh, I'm the best man, and so I'm supposed to give a toast and make a little speech here. And he said, uh, um, raised his glass and said, here's hoping this one lasts longer than the first one did. <laughs> and went and sat down. <laughs> That's all I remember from that whole wedding and reception. <laughs> so you want to pick the people who are going to speak and make sure you might even want to talk to them about what they're going to say before they say it. Plan an event, select the participants wisely. Number three, again, speak specific blessings over them. I'm going to lean into this one again. We've talked about speaking. We've talked about the law of the harvest. We've talked about life and death in the tongue. But hear me, guys. You need to be very intentional and very specific at this time. You need to spend a lot of time thinking and praying about what you're going to say because this will become an indelible mark on their lives if it's done with the Holy Spirit empowering the whole thing. So I would suggest that you speak boldly, that you speak even prophetically if God gives you something. Look how God spoke to Abram, Genesis 12, 2. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now that's pretty bold stuff when you realize Abram didn't have any children and he and his wife were both child, past child-rearing age at that point. But God spoke boldly, prophetically into him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Maybe you don't have a prophetic word for them, but you can always read Scripture over them. You know there's some 6,000 promises in the Bible? Just spend some time reading through the Bible and pull out a promise that applies to them. Pick one. Personalize it. Our oldest son, Andrew, had a difficult time transitioning into young manhood. And uh, we lost him to the drug world for a number of years. And God's redeemed that, and he's married and three kids, and he's a worship leader, and married to an active duty naval officer, he's commander in the Navy. And so we're blessed. But I remember vividly those days when Andrew was still struggling, but he graduated from high school, and we had a blessing event for Andrew. And here's the scripture that I read over him. In fact, we're going to put it up on the screens. And I personalized it. I said, how well God must like you, Andrew. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead-end road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Understand he was doing all of those things at that time. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. Today, Andrew will be 40 next year. And every time I see him and every time I talk to him, he tells me about something new he just discovered from the Word of God. Dad, have you thought about this? Dad, I read a scripture the other day, and this idea popped in my head. Dad, what's happening is this is becoming reality in his life, and it took a season to get there. But he hearkens back to that day as a defining kind of moment. You might consider uh, investigating the meaning of their name or assigning a new name. Whatever it is, take some time to invest in them and speak into them and speak specifically into them. Make it as prophetic as your faith will allow you to make it as God directs you. And then finally, seal the event in prayer.
plan a blessing event at those critical times in their lives. It can be because we got up this morning. It doesn't matter. Plan an event, okay? Select the right people, speak specific blessings over them, and then seal this thing in prayer. By all means, eat, talk, play games, play music, enjoy each other, but don't forget the most important part, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Who do we need to seal this blessing? Our authority in their lives? God's authority in their lives. i got to close, but before we go here this morning, whether you're talking about a blessing event or you're just talking about having a blessing lifestyle, don't forget, can I beg you, don't forget, there's a very real and powerful spiritual world at work. God is in charge of it. The Bible is the standard by which blessings and curses get passed, and Jesus has paid the price that that misery does not have to go forward. You can trust Him with anything that you've picked up, either from previous generations or from your own behavior. You can trust Jesus to change it. We're going to break that next week, anything we've identified. You can choose whether to pass blessing or cursing on my challenge to you this morning is be a blesser. When people think of you, think, have them think, he's a blesser. Every now and then you'll hear the question, so if you could flash forward to the day of your funeral and you could hear the words that people are saying at your funeral, what would you want them to say? I never hesitate when I'm asked that question. I always know the answer to that question. It's what defines everything I do. I say, I want them to say, my life is better because Jim was a part of it. That's it. That's it. Be a blesser. Let's pray.